Hello, everyone. Welcome to Raising Poets and Pirates, the podcast for Christian single moms raising sons. My name is Natalie, and I'm glad you can join me today. Today, I have a really special and dear guest, Samuel Say. And I've known Samuel Say for many years, since 2010. Yeah. And I re- yeah, and I really wanted him to join me and I wanted to interview him because A, he was raised by a Christian single mother and B, I thought his story, any insight he would give us would really benefit us as mothers. Now, Samuel Say is a blogger at Slow to Write and also a pro-life activist. And just to give you a little history of how Sam and I know each other, I met him online through Facebook. <laughs> That's how I meet everybody. (laughs) 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 And it was through a mutual friend. I I was trying to trace back how far, and it looked like it was a mutual friend. And then since then, we just got along really well. And I remember at the time he was looking for a new church, a solid church. And I kept trying to convince him to come to my church. And he finally did when I told him there would be a fellowship lunch. (laughs) You're like, I will be there. So... (laughs) Sam, welcome. Thank you for giving me your time to chat with me and let's get started. I'm yeah. Well, one, I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. I love the title of the podcast. It's a great, great title. Raising Thanks. Christian Poets and Pirates. Well, Raising Poets and Pirates. Raising, yeah. sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, that is, that is, that is beautiful. I love that. That's really cool. So anyway, look, I, I always love chatting with you and I'm happy to chat with you uh, through this uh this podcast is pretty cool. It's I know. It's, I'm just going to warn everyone. There's going to be a lot of jokes. <laughs> and uh, I know Sam likes to find every opportunity. <laughs> to well, since you're saying knock me it. Down a peg or two. Since you're <laughs> saying it. Now, look, I know it can't be that cold in Toronto that you're wearing a scarf inside your own home. How, how, how does that work? It's the nicest outfit I have because I'm also <laughs> video recording this. And just in case I decide to have a YouTube channel, <laughs> listen, I'd be my, in my robe and my t-shirt. If I knew I'm thinking of the future. You never know. You never know. <laughs> now let's start with some icebreaker questions to you know, get how mm-hmm. people get to know you a little bit more. Now, question number one, what are your top three favorite movies or books? Ooh. Huh? As in pick both or a mixture of both or, um, oh, you know what? It could be, a, it could be both. It could be either or mixture. Yeah. Let's just, yeah. favorite movies. Um, Lord of the Rings has to be up there in the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? <laughs> you and I, <laughs> I can, I can only say this with you. I can always say that, you know what? Maybe this is not the most Christian answer in the world. But I love The Departed. I love that That was movie. a good movie. Man, I love that movie. That was I, a good movie. I love gangster films, and The Departed is my favorite one. I love that film. Um, the third would be, huh? What would be the third? Um, I can go back and forth, but maybe, hmm, maybe Inception, perhaps. Okay. It's hard for me. Yeah, I have a lot of favorites, and it's hard for me to pick. Just one, but that's are you a DiCaprio fan? Because he's in both The Departed and Inception. Is there something? I'm 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 a big fan, but it's not. I mean, I enjoy his acting. I think he I think he picks some great roles, and I enjoy how he acts. But I'm not one of those DiCaprio, um, I guess you know, fanboys or something. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. I reserve that only for my Backstreet Boys, only for them. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess I tend to gravitate towards a lot of his films, but I didn't even realize that, yeah, those two films are actually uh, obviously uh, led by him. Favorite books? Oh, man. So the first one I think about is, I mean, John MacArthur. I, it's uh, his Bible commentary changed my life. It, mm-hmm. it, it is massive. I own like, hundred of his books. I own so many of his books. Any book he has, I, I probably have it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to pick which one. I mean, I love, I think it's called Slave or is it Saves of Christ? I'm forgetting the, the title. It's called Slave. I have a copy. It was yes. really good. Uh-huh. Slave, uh, the gospel according to Jesus. I love, uh, what's the one about moms and their, and their children? Extraordinary, no, I think it's Extraordinary Women and something. I'm forgetting the name of the, of the book. It's been a while since I read it. I love Charismatic Chaos. I love... Oh, basically all of his books. I also love uh, novels, I, uh, as in mystery, uh, like murder mystery novels. So I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. Mm. I love, and then there were none. Is probably my favorite murder mystery book. So I'm always I love studying to find truth or to or to find something that I don't know. And right. so whenever I'm studying theology or reading about politics and culture or whatever or history. When I want to when I want to break from that, I want something that will still keep my brain. I don't like boring. I don't like. I don't know. I I I just I'm always trying to find truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how I'm wired. So when I'm trying to figure out who the murderer is, I'm just so into that stuff. That's why I love I got the Christie. That and makes then sense. After that, it's like finding answers, problem solving. Here's a problem: finding answers. Exactly. You know, my mom tells a story about how when I was a kid. <laughs> She had this beautiful gold watch and we might share a lot of stories about my childhood, me and my mom, but uh, (laughs) she had this beautiful watch and I guess I was fascinated with it. And one day she comes home and she sees that I'm holding a hammer and I'm holding her watch and right away, she's about to have a heart attack. (laughs) And then she sees what's it. And then she sees that I've destroyed her watch. And she's like, Sam, what are you doing? And I say, well, I was trying to find out how it works. Right? She's like, well, you could have used all the other watches that were not that were not gold. Why? Why did you pick the gold one? But I've kind of been wired that way. I'm mm-hmm. fascinated. I, I want to understand how things work or understand just truth. So that's why I love Agatha Christie and her uh, murder mysteries. And then probably the book, another book that had a massive impact on me is probably Thomas Sowell, his book. Uh, what is it? Uh, black rednecks and no. Yes. Yeah. Black, black rednecks, rednecks and, and white liberals. liberals. That's an amazing yeah. book. Yeah. It's a really good, great book as well. Anybody, anybody who reads my articles will know that he's had a massive impact on uh, the things that I write about and how I think, at least how I try to think. So yeah, that would be it. Oh, excellent. Wow. That that's, that's your, that's a good collection of, of books and movies. Second question. What's the most regrettable fashion style you've ever worn? <laughs> You're such a punk for this. You're a terrible <laughs> person for this. You are terrible. <laughs> You're, and for you those who are, know Samuel say, I call in, send me. <laughs> You're a terrible. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I guess, I guess there's uh, no other answer except for my infamous red pants. <laughs> my skinny jeans that were red bright red that everybody and, and their mom and <laughs> everybody has just dissed me and i thought they were cool man but then 
Yeah, I had to retire those pants. Uh, they're still back. I didn't bring them with me when I when I moved. There's no didn't? way. I, they no, be Annie, framed or turned into pillowcases. Oh, don't worry. It's still it's still my, my mom's house. Uh, but uh, maybe I'll keep it for my my uh, not my not my sons, but my daughters uh, when they grow up because it's probably meant more for them <laughs> than for men. Well, Christmas yeah. is coming. The red. I honestly you should. That is now. Hey, I do still own some orange pants that are beautiful. Very <laughs> nice. Very nice orange pants, but not red, not red. So maybe when I get back uh, and visit Toronto, I will, uh, I'll, I'll put them on. Make sure your sister or your mom don't throw them away or your brother. <laughs> Do they know not to touch those? That you know, I. It's a I relic. Have, it's a relic. <laughs> <laughs> I have hit them so well that I'm not quite sure that they maybe they might find it. Okay, that's great. And the last question: If you could be an expert of any skill, what would it be and why? Hmm. An expert on any skill. I would want to say writing, but that's the boring answer because I, I write. I'm not an expert on writing by mm-hmm. any means, but I would like that, but I'll pick something else. It could be something uh, fun, crazy. Like I've always wanted to like be a master juggler or anything. Huh. So. If I could be a master on anything. Uh, that's a great question. I've never I've been asked that before. Honestly, probably cooking. Um, oh. Yeah. And it's because... See, all those times when I was eating my mom's food, I should have, you know, actually studied and become mm-hmm. an expert on cooking or especially Ghanaian cooking. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, um, you know, Annie is not Ghanaian and mm-hmm. I can make some Ghanaian meals, but not my favorites. And I really wish I was an expert on that. I'm now starting to, you know, start learning how to make a lot of the dishes that I can't make. But I really wish, I mean, I guess that's not, as cool as juggling, <laughs> but I, that's what immediately comes to mind. I can't think of, you know what? Okay. Okay. Maybe something to do with heights, maybe something like mountain climbing. Oh, okay. I wish, yeah. Because I really want to get over my fear, my, my fear of heights. And if I could be an expert on that, that'd be pretty cool. So probably something like that too. Uh, mm-hmm. Mountain climbing or something tight rope, with tight rope walking. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> uh, in this scenario, I'm still black. <laughs> right <laughs> in this in there, tight roping nah man what black man have you seen trying to do some tight roping no way no way you know what no i can't think of anybody yeah no <laughs> no i no no mountain climbing is one thing mm-hmm. tight roping no no i can't can't do that <laughs> excellent well sam i really want to get in depth with this i don't want to say interview but this this talk this podcast with you because your story is so rich and i really resonated with it because you have been not only a really close friend and brother, but you understood my situation being a, a single mother and raising sons. And you invested yourself in the lives of my sons. And it's been great. I mean, my little one, Santiago, he he loves you. Like I look at all the old pictures where his face just light, you know, lights up when you're playing around with him, joking around. And I want people to know your story to give us mothers hope and and just a reminder that God never forsakes us. He is good because we never know how our sons are going to turn out, especially when there's uh, no father in the picture. And in your case, you had said you never met your father. I was wondering if you could just sort of tell us the story as far back as you can go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, just, yeah, if you can just start off with that, well, your upbringing. Well, one, you're very kind and gracious and one of the reasons why I love your boy so much, and one of the reasons why I love you so much is because 
the way your boys would frustrate you is the way I would frustrate my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I was, the, I was, I was putting my mom through all of that. Right. But yeah, um, as you said, I was born in Ghana. For those who may not know, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. And when my, my mom was married to my dad, but then when my mom became pregnant with me, my dad abandoned us and ran to Nigeria. I mean, of all the places to run to Nigeria, I mean, <laughs> Clearly, he was not a very wise man. In any Listen, way. <laughs> do not alienate some of my Nigerian audience, okay? Okay, fine, fine, fine. That's the last Nigerian joke I'll make. That's the last one. Um, but uh, yeah, so I never met him. But my mom, just amazing. Just um, of all the difficulties that we had, she was not one of them at all. She was oftentimes say that I know in today's society, it could be, it could be, it could be um, received in a different way. But my mom was my mom and my dad right now today some could say that yeah they were once your mom and now they're your dad right with you know Stop. how people see <laughs> people see certain things but no my mom was just and is just an incredibly patient strong strong woman taught me the gospel from a very young age i knew what the gospel was i just didn't i wasn't born again till i was 19 and then i i heard the gospel and then the same gospel I heard of my entire life, but then this time I became born again, I became a new man. But yeah, um, growing up, we, because of, you know, being raised in a single household, especially mm -hmm. in Ghana, and then later on when she remarried and we were in Canada, but then she went through some hard times there too, because my, the man that she married, my former stepfather was abusive and mm -hmm. we, be, we became, we were um, essentially homeless for a while. We were in a shelter. And seeing how my mom was reacting to all that just has always just, I, you know, my mom, uh, once, once, uh, I've never forgotten what she said. She, uh, once, uh, I, I remember it was actually when we were on our way from Montreal to Toronto to, mm -hmm. uh, stay in a shelter. She was bruised at the time because my stepfather had beat her up and she said, Sam, remember, remember all my bruises and remember how I am. I've, I'm trying to overcome this for your sake because I love you. Mm -hmm. And then she says, but remember that Christ has done a lot more for you than I will ever do for you. And that has, that was 20 years ago. And I've never forgotten that. I was, I didn't believe the gospel at the time. I was not a, a believer. I, I knew the gospel was true. I just didn't, I just had not grabbed it right. for myself. But I remember that they taught me that, wow, as much as my mom loves me, Christ loves me more than that. And that has stuck with me all of my life. So my mom was the first preacher that I had. And it uh, was always a good example that while my father abandoned me, my mom didn't. Um, she went through so much to, so that she would know, so that I would know that not only that she loved me, but that mm -hmm. Christ loved me. So anyway, yeah. Well, going back to Ghana. So you had an older brother. How many siblings before you, before you came? Just, as, just an older brother? Um, so it's, it's kind of complicated. You know how this is with Africans. <laughs> um, well, between your mother and your father, let's say that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. my father had my, is a, a, so I had an older brother mm -hmm. through my father and my mom, but I also had an older sister apparently through my father as well from a different uh, woman before he married my mom. I didn't remember her because I was very young at the time and she had lived in a different uh, I guess, environment in Ghana. But I had two older siblings. One was half sibling and then one was my full brother. But for my mom, I only had my older brother. Did your older brother 
know your dad fairly well. What's the age gap between the two of you? Um, it's eight years between he and I. So he would remember my dad in certain, yeah, he'd remember my dad in, in small ways. Um, but then, yeah, he was eight when my, when my dad left. So, Did you ever ask your mother why your dad left? Did you ever want to take on, like, take on, okay, he was around for my brother. Why did he leave when I came into the picture? It's interesting. I knew nothing uh, at all. It was not my mom's fault. I would ask my mom about my dad and she would struggle with that answer. She would struggle. And at a young age, I could tell she didn't want to tell me. So I would just not ask. So it wasn't, so honestly, even when I, so when we moved to Canada and then I met my stepfather for the first time, uh, I, I asked him, are you my dad? I didn't mm. know anything. And I was 10 at the time. It wasn't until I was maybe around 12 or 13 mm-hmm. when my uh, a close friend of our family was talking to my mom about my father. They just, she made a comment about how Sam's voice sounds a lot like, like his dad. And then I just mm-hmm. asked her about my dad. And then my mom was quiet the whole time because she was struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's the one that started to share some information with me about how it all happened. And then over time, as, as I got older, my mom became more comfortable sharing with me because it was hard on her because mm-hmm. it's hard for her to tell me this when she doesn't blame me whatsoever. But she mm-hmm. knows that I, I think for her, she was just worried about how it would affect me. So she didn't know how to go about it. So I didn't know much till I was a bit older. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I mean, I didn't even see a picture of him till I was 17, mm-hmm. uh, where I've, 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 and he was 17 at the time, my father. So I was oftentimes say that the first time I saw my father was when he was 17 and I was also 17. But yeah, that's how I gradually came to learn more and more about my dad. What was it like uh, growing up in Ghana, not knowing your father, not having any father figure was there a father figure in other relatives how would how did you feel or um school because you said being a single mother in ghana it's, it comes with its i'm sure it's very different versus in canada like oh, yeah. i don't know if it's support system or just cultural attitudes can you oh, elaborate yeah. a bit yeah it was tough uh we were we were poor <laughs> we mm. were uh, we were amongst poor people, but but we were even poorer than the poor people. We were like I, I remember being uh, hungry uh, mm. a lot, and my mom being hungrier than me because she would oftentimes not eat at all, so that I would have something to eat. It was it was tough, and I and I knew that I knew again I knew something was different because everyone had their father, and I I didn't. There you know I had older uncles and cousins and things like that, but they were far away from us. They were living elsewhere in Ghana. It was just, my mom was the only uh, per, only member of her family who lived in Accra, the capital city. So we were fairly isolated from the rest of the family. And my older brother was in boarding school. So it was really just mostly my mom and I. So that's one of the reasons why we are, we are, we are so close. Uh, we've been, we've been to each other all we have mm-hmm. um, for most of our lives. So yeah, we, we, we were poor, but honestly, it, it was so it was somewhat normal mm-hmm. that I didn't think much of it. And then when we came to Canada and we were in the shelter and everything, it was hard. But to be honest with you, because we had some kind of a support system, it was a lot better than what it was in Ghana, right? We didn't have a home, but we were not hungry, right? right. We were being fed. And well, we didn't have our own home, but we had at least a good place to stay uh, and we were safe. So uh, we had it, we had it rough, um, but God is good. God has always been good uh, to my mom and I. 
And um, yeah, but, but I started struggling more and more with not having a father because, you know, kids. You know what, uh, at what age? At what age? Around when I started going to school around five or six. Okay. That's when kids would make comments about, hey, that's the guy who doesn't have a father. He's never met his dad and things like that. Um, and I would start fighting people, uh, a lot of fights over that because mm-hmm. I didn't know how to react to that. And I knew, you know, I never blamed myself because I didn't know what the issue was, but I knew that there was something about me that had led him to um, into leaving. So, and then I'm, I'm sure we'll probably talk about it, but then uh, especially when my mom um, moved to Canada before I, I could, mm-hmm. that made it harder because now I didn't have my dad or my mom and I was just kind of alone and my brother's in the boarding school. So I didn't meet any of my, I didn't have any of my immediate family around me for about three years. And in the middle of that, I also had malaria and mm. I was dying and I was actually dying from malaria as well. I was in a, I was living, living. I was, um, I was in the hospital for maybe a week or two and I was on my, essentially almost my deathbed. Um, Who was caring for you? At that time when your mother, for a better life, went to Canada. Yeah. So my, that, just before I explain that, my mom was having such a hard time with that. It was, she, she every time we, we talk about that, she gets emotional because mm-hmm. she came to Canada. And at the time, she couldn't come with me because she had to come here first. And then she would sponsor me at the time. I think now it's a bit different now that they have the, the children come with the parents. But at the time, she had to come here first and then sponsor me. And she was so poor that she couldn't come even visit me in Ghana. And it was taking a while for, for me to get sponsored here. So when she knew that I was sick, she was she was struggling. She she lost so much weight. She became depressed because she thought I would die. And she said, what's the point? What's the point of me coming here and then my child dies when the whole mm-hmm. point is to for me to come here and bring him here with me? But uh, at that time, I had become so... So I was staying with some some close family friends in Accra because my mom did not want my life to change so radically by then sending me to relatives that I did not know very well. So she wanted me to stay in Accra with some close family friends. But then when I got so sick, there wasn't any good hospital to really Mm -hmm. take care of me there. So I would then send to where our relatives are uh, in the other side of Ghana. And I was staying with, uh, with them. That's after I got out of the hospital after a week or two, I don't remember how long uh, I was there for exactly, but I knew it was, you know, somewhat significant. Um, so yeah. And then after that, I stayed with, uh, with the relatives for about a year or so before I finally got my, uh, documents and I was able to come to Canada. You know, I love this story, but before we get to that story, <laughs> as far as you know, when you were born, your mother was already a Christian. Did yeah. she, what kind of, um, how did she in, you know, the best she could kind of create that, home life that serves the Lord, regular church attendance, or, you know, how did she, how were oh, you yeah. able to sort of see how she loved the Lord, her Christian life, her walk? As you I'm, a, I'm a Reformed Baptist now, but my mom is a Pentecostal and Pentecostals do not hide their faith. They do they not. Don't. <laughs> they I, don't. Yeah, I grew up Pentecostal. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, man, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and she's praying you know, uh, in tongues, <laughs> she's prayer, you know, um, at least as they would call it. But then you know, she would also be generally praying as well. And she would be fasting. Uh, uh, now, perhaps because she didn't have much of a choice because we already we didn't have food. <laughs> oh we didn't have much food. Uh, oh, man. But, uh, I mean, but, you know, you know my sense of humor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you know mine too. Yeah. So, <laughs> I laugh at that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then, you know, she would always be going all night prayers. All, like every Friday, all night prayers. 
those yes should be doing that um man we would we lived far from church so we didn't have a car we didn't have buses and all that stuff so we would walk for about an hour and a half or two hours to get to church and then walk back every sunday morning oh yeah so i mean church like was just was everything um she was always praying she was always reading the bible she would always remind me of of what the bible says she would mm-hmm. teach me bible stories and she'd pray for me all the time so i just i was completely saturated with biblical truth all around her favorite thing to do was just talk to me and she loved talking to me and then inevitably any talk with my mom would always lead somehow mm-hmm. to the gospel to to Christianity and and her faith and everything. So yeah, so I I yeah, I, I couldn't escape. I don't mean that in a bad way. I could not escape learning in, in every facet of my life, the gospel has something to do with it. My mom would always make sure to talk about it. No, that's wonderful. That that is wonderful to hear. And so when she had to make the painful decision to leave you behind and go to Canada, to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Tell us that story. It's one of my favorite stories. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, um, I mean, like, tell me the details, like from your perspective, oh, I will, your I will uncle and you going to school the next day, please. <laughs> I will, I will tell you the story. So my mom, so she tells me, she tells me that, Hey Sam, we're, you know, we're going to Canada. Now, remember what I said, we are dirt poor mm-hmm. and Canada, like, in, in, you know, we, we, we refer to the West as Abrochi and we see it like a, we see it like heaven, you know, like, wow, you know, everybody is rich and like, we're not like, you know, Ghana was suffering poverty and everything. My life will change. And I'm so excited. And all the, all the, the students and all my friends who would tease me, I'm like, Hey, I would, I would brag to them. Like, guys, I'm going, oh, I'm going to Canada because I'm never going to see me again. You know, and I'm like teasing them, mocking them. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm going to be in Canada with my, uh, you know, rob- uh, like I would robots. I would never do any work. You know, you say that we you watch, get computer, computer. Yeah, we, get computer. <laughs> we watch all these sci-fi films and we assume that's how things were, but I'm so excited. I'm saying, I think it was, I remember it was on a Friday. And I'm like, guys, you're not going to see me on Monday. This is a say, say your goodbyes. I'm being the most obnoxious, annoying person out there. The whole class says goodbye to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I don't know if it was that night or that Saturday night, but my mom says, okay, Sam, you know, we're getting ready. Let's go to the airport. And again, I'm saying my goodbyes to everybody in around the neighborhood too. We get to the airport and then my mom says, Sam, I'll be right back. <laughs> And I, I, I think I was waiting a while. I probably maybe, you know, I sat down somewhere. I fell asleep somewhere. I don't remember. And then my uncle picks me up and then he says, Hey Sam, do you see that airplane? You know, just, just uh, taking uh, off. Is it taking take, off? Yeah. Just- yeah. Take, yeah. Taking off there. I'm like, yeah. It says, say bye to your mom. I'm like, what? <laughs> What? You know, wait, wait, but I'm here. What's happening? (laughs) And then, and then uh, I start wailing. I start wailing because I'm like, my mom is gone. She's gone, right? I'm so confused. And now, before I continue the story, my mom, her and I are so close. Mm -hmm. She couldn't bear to look at me in the eye and say that she's an amazing mom. 
she is incredible. And honestly, knowing the kind, the kind of tantrum I would have caused, mm-hmm. it was better for her not to tell me. She did the right thing. Um, but she struggled with that so much. But now getting back to the story, oh man, I was, I, <laughs> I was devastated. Mm-hmm. Not just because my mom is gone, but now I know on Monday, I, it's not going to go well for me back in school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I show up to class on Monday <laughs> and I got roasted. Everyone's like, Sam, how was, how was Canada on the weekend? <laughs> how was it? You're back so soon already. I got roasted so much. It was horrible. It was, oh man. And look, Africans, mm-hmm. like, you know, for people who whom I know what I do, you know, I blog about certain controversial things. And I always mm-hmm. joke, people get angry at me. They try to roast me. It doesn't, it doesn't stick whatsoever mm-hmm. because Africans, man, African kids, they can roast you in ways that you like it, man, they were, they were giving it to me. My teacher was giving it to me. They were all like, it was all, oh yeah. Oh, my teacher was giving it to me. You know, it was all in good fun, right? It wasn't like they yes. were actually attacking me or, but no, they were. It was to was humble laughing. you. Oh, they oh, humbled man. you. They, so, so, so the next time when I actually was leaving, I was quiet. I didn't say a single word to nobody. I didn't say nothing because it wasn't until I got on that plane. I was, okay, I really am going to Canada because I learned my lesson there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the, uh, that's, that's the story of how, uh, my mom uh, left, you know, left Ghana and came to Canada. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I got roasted by my friends after I was boasting so much about how I was going off to a better land. And I showed up the next Monday uh, saying, oh, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, it's a, it's a great story. It never gets old for me because I just see the visual of the plane taking off and you're just like, <laughs> see that plane? Your mother's on there. <laughs> and you're probably thinking Monday rolling around the corner. <laughs> Man, you that was face rough. Your friends. That was oh, rough. Oh uh, man, I will never forget that day. I did not want to go to school at all. I knew I would get roasted. It was bad. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Okay, so Sam, when your mother went to Montreal, tell me what it was like. You said you were away from her for about three years before you um, got to join her. Can you give us a, a taste of what that was like for you? The highs, the lows. You know that feeling of you were pretty much an orphan. You know yeah. at that time. Yeah, that's really that's exactly that. Uh, I was an orphan, in a sense. Um, yeah. What made it harder too is <laughs> this is in the nineties. Uh, this is in Ghana. We didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't talk to her at all, as well too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she was away, but I would hear from her. I did not hear from her at all. So it was hard. It was really hard. I never felt abandoned by my mom because for those seven years, my mom, we, I knew that she just couldn't be there now. Uh, Mm -hmm. I never doubted her love for me. But there were times where I remember as a kid, I would just be somewhere and I'd just break down crying because I was just like, my mom is not here. You know, I I never knew my dad. I was was more curious in a sense at the time about him, but I didn't have a connection with him, right? But I had a connection with my mom and I felt alone. Um, The people that I was living with, for the most part, they were good but they had their own children too. And I knew I was not one of their children. Mm-hmm. It was very obvious. And I missed just being able to laugh with my mom. She has a very similar sense of humor as I do. And I, I missed her sense of humor. I missed, um, I missed just 
feeling like I had a home and I didn't have a home. I was living with other people. And to be honest with you, it also led to more, um, I was young, but it led to more sins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I knew what the gospel was, but I love my sins more than I love Christ. So I became, I'll be honest, I was, I was in sexual sin, mm -hmm. uh, which, um, at a very young age, at a very young age. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I knew it was, it was wrong. I knew mm -hmm. that. And to be honest with you, this maybe, I don't know if I want to get into this, but a lot of people, and I'm not, this is not, this is not the normal case whatsoever. It's not a normal case. I am not saying I was abused in any way. I wasn't, I mm -hmm. was, I pursued that myself. There were people who were, who sinned as well too, obviously, but I knew it was wrong and I did it. Um, and again, I'm not saying that means then that kids can consent to adults by any means, not, none whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. I was sinning with older kids, but they were kids. Mm -hmm. um, they were not adults. Uh, I pursued that. Um, that's because I had seen, I had seen people, adults doing sexual sin, and I wanted to emulate that. And I didn't have mm -hmm. my mom there. It's not, again, it's not her fault whatsoever. It was just circumstances, but I did not have supervision. And I started indulging in more sin, which later in life, um, obviously has caused um, some consequences. Um, but it became, it was difficult. It was very difficult. Um, um, and then, as I mentioned too, I had, I had malaria. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I remember I, I was always, I was a very, I was full of energy as a kid. I was always playing soccer, uh, playing sports, being active, but I got sick and I, for weeks, I could not get up. I was, um, I didn't have a bed. Mm. So I, w I was sleeping on a mat on a on the floor. And I remember being so exhausted. In the hospital or in the home you were staying in? Initially in a home. Initially, mm -hmm. for weeks in a home initially. And then um, it was when I got worse. That's when I was taken to the hospital. But for several weeks, I was laying on a mat. Um, and I remember <laughs> I was so exhausted and so tired. I couldn't, there was water right next to me. And I couldn't even stretch my arm to pick up that water to drink. Mm -hmm. um, I remember dreaming, dreaming about drinking water <laughs> because uh -huh. I couldn't get that water in front of me. I couldn't even speak. Um, um, so, and then I remember my older brother, when he learned just how much, how worse I was getting, he left boarding school and he tried to get me, he tried to take me to a hospital in the local area. And I will never forget that day because I was so weak that what should have been a 15, 20 minutes walk became maybe an hour or two hours walk. Wow. I couldn't, I couldn't walk. He had to put me on his shoulder and we had to struggle to get to the, uh, the hospital. Um, and then I guess whatever the doctor said there, that's when they said, okay, if he does not get, get taken and into an, into a hospital elsewhere, mm -hmm. he, he will not survive. I'm guessing because then not long after that, that's when I was transferred from, where we were in Accra into Tema, which is where I was actually born originally. Uh, but that's where my, my older uncles and cousins and um, other relatives were. And then I stayed in the hospital for again, about maybe two weeks. And I, I don't know if you remember this, I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was being taken into this particular hospital in, in Tema, there were, <laughs> there were cemeteries. Oh. Uh, be, there, was, there was a cemetery behind this, this hospital. 
So as soon as I see that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. I'm about to die. Um, I was young. I was maybe eight or nine, but I'm like, okay, I know cemeteries. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not a, it's, yeah, that's a sign that this is where I'm going to die. So I go into the hospital and um, I remember there were people, sick, sick children that I was um, you know, next to in this room that we were all at. Um, and a lot of them would be moving around one day, not moving, I said moving around in the bed one day, the next day they would be still, they wouldn't be moving anymore Mm. and they'd be taken away and I'll never see them again. The assumption is of course that they, they died. Um, so I remember looking out the window where there'd be cemeteries, um, there thinking that I'm never going to see my mom again. And um, I'm going to die. So that gave me all emotional here. (laughs) But um, yeah, Uh, but thankfully, (laughs) I'm laughing about this because the day when I, the day I realized that I was okay Mm -hmm. is that I could barely eat. They had to, I don't know, force feed me somehow. I I couldn't eat. The day I realized that I was okay is that they brought Jalaf into the room Mm -hmm. and I finished mine for the first time in a long time. And not only that, somebody else couldn't eat their jollof. And you finished theirs? And I finished theirs. (laughs) And I finished theirs. I finished theirs. And I know you told me not to make another Nigerian joke, but if it was (laughs) a Nigerian jollof, I would probably be, I would have been made more sick. I would have been more sick. I would have. (laughs) Okay, that's the last one. 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 Mm -hmm. But no, um, that's when it became apparent that I, I, at least for me, that's when I, I realized that, okay, I'm getting better again um, mm-hmm. because again, I couldn't eat it all. Um, and then sometime after that, I was taken back to stay with my relatives who were living near the hospital. And I stayed there for about a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe even two years before uh, finally I got my uh, documents and um, I was able to fly to Canada with my older brother. Um, mm-hmm. And then we, uh, yeah, we, we joined our mom in Canada. Before we touch, we go on uh, about your time in Canada. As you were talking, a question popped into my head. You said, you know, you really missed your mom. There are times you break out into tears. Okay, so the first question is, when that would happen, what would trigger it? It Was was it just feeling a sense of loneliness at school or in, in the family you stayed with? Or would it just, would there be something that triggers a, a warm memory yeah. Do you recall like any particular, like when it would usually happen? Yeah. Um, there was one part, this one particular time that I remember vividly, I was in Tema with my relatives and I was being sent around a lot. Um, I would be sorry, sent. What does that mean? Being sorry, sent around I, a lot? sorry. What I meant is that, so since we don't have cars, um, you know, at least at the time, uh, mm-hmm. you had to be very, very wealthy at the time in Ghana to own a car. And um, the, my relatives, while they were more wealthy than the people that I was staying with before, they did not own cars. So oftentimes when we need to go get something, we need to buy certain things for the house, certain groceries or whatever, they would send, they would send me to uh, walk significant um, kilometers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I said kilometers, miles, not, you know, I'm, I'm still very much Canadian, even though I've moved <laughs> to the U S here, but, um, many, like just, I'm talking about 
an hour or two hours walk to go pick up something and then come back. And it became, it, it was just consistent. And it, w- it wouldn't be the other children that would do so. It would be me uh, because I was not their kid, right? And don't get me wrong, I love my relatives and they love me too, but it became consistent that I would, I was taking on a lot of the work, a lot mm-hmm. of the burdens. Um, now, some people might be surprised, you know, because I was about eight, nine years old and taking all those long walks. In Africa, it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Africa, it's a lot, generally, in some areas, anyways, it's a lot safer than here, where an eight-year-old shouldn't be going anywhere. Uh, but in Africa, at least in Ghana, it's very common for people that age to be going elsewhere to go get certain things. But anyway, um, I remember there was one time where I was exhausted. I had done so many chores and I'm being sent to walk this very long, um, this long trip to go get some item. And I just broke down. Like I just missed my mom. I miss mm. my mom that I'm with people that are my relatives, but they're not my family. And I just think it was taking her so long. Um, mm-hmm. I just started breaking down and weeping. The other time is that um, <laughs> I mentioned how I had malaria, but ironically, I also have an allergy to um, a malaria drug, the most effective oh. malaria drug, which is uh, chloroquine. Um, and my allergy is that whenever I take it, it would make me itch and I'll be in pain for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. My mom knows that, but my relatives didn't know that. So whenever, so I ended up getting malaria again at some point, but it wasn't as serious as the first one. I got malaria again, but it was a somewhat minor. And they were going to give me the drug. And I said, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have an allergy to it. But to them, they thought I was lying because mm-hmm. of course, because you know, the drug tasted awful. They thought that I was just having some excuse not to take it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you don't understand. I'm re- this is, it's a, it's a serious allergy. Not that it would kill me, but it makes me extremely uncomfortable. I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything. I'm just, I'm literally scratching for 24 hours the entire time. And they didn't believe me. So then they forced me to take it. So while I'm in pain and I'm scratching around, I'm like, man, if my mom was here, I would not be, this would not mm-hmm. be happening, you know? So, um, so it was, it was things like that, um, that would especially make me miss her uh, more. I think there's something wonderful that you had said that like you, you and your mom were so tight that you missed, you know, just those moments together that that's, uh, when you were most happiest, um, what I mean to like when you talked about those moments, I think it's it's nice to hear and very encouraging to to me and to other mothers that home for you was with your mom, and it wasn't the geography, it wasn't the economic circumstances that made it feel like home. Because you said you were you were poor, like really poor as. Can't remember who said it, but someone said, "Were you so poor that you couldn't afford the OR in the word?" You know, you were so, <laughs> it must be an American because you know that po- yeah, yeah. And yet, yeah. home was with your mom, and I think that's it's, it's nice to hear. And I I try to do that with my sons. That no matter what, no matter our circumstances, I want them to when they come home, whatever it looks like, it's home and it feels like home. Yeah, that yeah. I want it to be the happiest place where they are and just hearing you say that earlier and even explaining we were poor sometimes hungry but to be with your mom it gave you much joy so that's it's wonderful to hear and and really encouraging i'm getting choked up (laughs) Hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's encouraging to hear because I think sometimes, and I guess I'm speaking more for myself, I always feel like if I'm not providing the best environment for for my boys, there's just a, a lot of guilt. And sometimes maybe some mothers may have overcompensated in other ways or you just, but in the end, just to hear you say, to be with my mother. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, we tend to forget this when we, when we grew up, when we were adults, but when we're children, of course, we want the best of everything when you're a mm-hmm. child. But ultimately, no, when, when, when you're a kid, what you really want is just knowing that your, your parents, your, your mom in this case, mm-hmm. loves you. Um, that's all I cared about. I didn't, I mean, I believe me, I wanted everything to, I was the one bragging about how I'm going to be doing nothing and having robots in Canada, right? And all that. So like, believe me. The computer. All of that. But yet, no, what I wanted most was not, it wasn't Canada. I didn't come mm-hmm. in, I didn't come to Canada for Canada. I, mm-hmm. I did not care. I just wanted to be with my mom. Um, and, um, you know, so we, we tend to forget that. Um, I'm not a parent yet, but I know that, a lot, you know, some parents, we think like parents and we forget how we used to think when we were young um, mm-hmm. or when we were younger. So, yeah, no, I, what I wanted most uh, was my mom and her love. Um, and, and, and honestly, I always say <laughs> the best gift my mom ever gave me was an egg. Oh. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, oh yeah, I would see some of my friends playing with these new cool toy cars and everything. And I wanted, I wanted that, but I asked my mom, my mom for that. She said, I'm sorry, I can't give it to you. She doesn't have the money for it. And then some, uh, on one of my birthdays, she asked me, what did I want for my birthday? And I simply said an egg. Mm. <laughs> I love eggs. But I knew we couldn't afford anything else. But I thought maybe she could afford an egg. I remember, I'll never forget, my mom came home late one day from work after working long hours. She came home and she simply gave me a hard-boiled egg. Mm. For some people, that would be a sad story. But no, Mm. that is the best gift my mom has ever given me. Because that's all I wanted. I wanted to eat that cake and all. I just wanted an egg. And she gave that to me. But... I don't remember her eating that night. I was eating that egg. She didn't mm-hmm. eat. I don't remember her eating anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cherish that. So it's not every, it's not that she couldn't give me. We, th- we, th- we think that kids want parents to give them everything. Mm-hmm. No, kids want parents to give them everything they can. And my mom gave me everything she could, the best of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll never forget that. It's been, I was like, what, five or six? Never forgot that. Um, so, yeah. That's a great story. So you arrived to Canada. What was that experience like? <laughs> when the plane landed. What's the oh, airport man. called in Montreal? Doval or something? Who knows? I, I'm forgetting. Yeah. Um, but I will tell you what. Was it winter time? Oh, of course it was winter. Of course. <laughs> I mean, with, with, with the story of my life, would it, of course it'd be nothing but winter. It was so, man, I, I, that's a funny story too, because I get to the airport. I'm excited that I'm coming home or coming. Yeah. Coming to my mom. 
But man, and I realized, wait a minute, I'm going to have to be on a plane. <laughs> now the excitement is still there, but I'm like, huh? Yeah. I need to be on a plane to get there. And you know, me to this day, I don't do well with planes. I don't do well with heights. Mm -hmm. So I start throwing a tantrum at the airport. I'm screaming at my uncle. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. After all this time of saying how much I want to be with my mom, my fear is now in between me mm. and my mom. Yeah. And I am screaming. I'm yelling. And it was so bad. Like my brother couldn't get it. I couldn't. I was out muscling him, I guess. Even <laughs> I, I, like I was, I mean, it wasn't muscle. It just might, I guess it was more fear. I was mm. just punching. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm not going nowhere. They had to get two or three security guards from, from the airport to literally drag me onto that plane and to force me there. I was, I was crying. I was yelling. Wow. I, I was terrified of the plane because I remember the first time I saw the plane was when my mom took off. Uh, from then, I remember at the time being terrified. I'm like, "Oh wow, she's in the air and it's just shooting off." Like, I was <laughs> terrified. Um, so, and you know, I, I don't want to think too much about it, but I also do wonder if maybe that experience of seeing my mom leave that way may have also affected how I thought about planes as well, too. Oh. Um, but I was, I was petrified of it. Um, so I finally get on that plane. We arrive. They, they gave me. Have you seen Coming to America? Uh, not, uh, not Coming to America. What is it? Um, that movie about the Jamaican bobsled team. Oh, Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. And then they show up, <laughs> and uh, uh, they're at the air. They get off the plane, and they're like, "Ooh!" Like it's they're wearing. Their, I think they're wearing spring jackets too at the time. And anyway, the point is, is that I'm wearing my spring jackets because you know you're in you're in Ghana. No one really wears spring jackets. It's never cold. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking that yeah. That'll be enough. Well, no. I remember the date. We showed up at December 17th, 1997 mm -hmm. in Montreal. I stepped out of that plane. Man, I, I might as well have been naked. That spring jacket didn't do nothing. <laughs> it did nothing. I, I was cold. Um, I'm like, wow, this is different. But yet, I thought it was beautiful. It was very late into the night. Mm -hmm. It was dark, but then the snow was glistening and it was beautiful to me mm -hmm. i was shivering but i loved it we get to the airport and then um <laughs> my mom hates this this part of the story but i see this this black woman in this leopard um leopard long leopard coat running towards me mm -hmm. who's that <laughs> who's that it's my mom but here's the issue she looks like my mom but it's been so long, three years out of, out of 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's a long time for a kid. And in a weird way, I started thinking, she hugs me and I'm like, I'm, I'm happy. But a part of me is like, what if it's not my mom? What if it's somebody else? I don't mm -hmm. know. I was playing. I, I, as I remember that it, for a good week or two, I was like, what if it's not her? It was really bizarre. Um, but but, you know, obviously I came to my senses and I was just, I was just happy um, that I was now with my mom, um, that uh, I'm in this, you know, strange land, all the snow. And then very soon after that, there was a blizzard uh, that happened in 98, mm. around February or February or March. It was a huge blizzard in Montreal. And I loved it all. Loved seeing everything. Um, and then I was finally home with my mom. So, yeah, that's how oh, I came to Canada. And how did you adapt? Because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, by then, 
your mother had been married and she already had your little brother now or both siblings? Yeah. Or is it just, uh, just your brother first and then your sister later? No. um, Yeah. So Ronnie, my younger brother would have been two years old and my Nadia, my little sister was just like two or three months old. Oh, okay. Okay. And I'll never forget (laughs) the very first time I saw Ronnie, uh, my younger brother, I'm getting, I opened the door to get into the car and he looks at me, he says, who are you? Go to your own family. <laughs> yeah. He had heard about me, but he's a kid. He doesn't, he yeah, doesn't know. Of I'm like, man, keep quiet, little, little, little punk. Um, <laughs> and that became, that was the beginning of our relationship. Um, but no, it's, yeah, he was just two years old. He's he a toddler. Mm-hmm. And then my little sister was a little baby. Um, yeah, it was not the normal way that you meet your your younger siblings but honestly it was pretty cool too it was it was amazing i'm like wow i'm not the youngest person anymore i'm not the youngest child from my mom anymore i'm now an older brother it was very cool um so yeah but no but i i i i think i the adjustment was fairly smooth um i enjoyed my mom just did so well in just just man, just yeah. We did a lot of talking. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time with my siblings, and they because I had to talk to them. And, oh, actually, before that, even my mom, we were actually in private school. She she was working so hard to put us mm. in, in private school in Ghana. So I had learned English um, and French fairly well from my age, and I was really my mom wasn't my mom wasn't intentional in putting me into private school to learn French. It just happened mm-hmm. to be that by God's providence that it became very handy when I moved to a French city. So I was actually doing pretty well. I adjusted very easily. I learned, I became almost fluent in French within a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I loved Montreal. I loved the city. I was living in a, in a, what we call park extension in Montreal. It's like the Jenna Finch of Montreal. And you, you know, there were all these Ghanaians there. So oh, okay. it just, yeah. So, I mean, there were a lot of, uh, Bangladesh people, Indian people, obviously uh, white um, Quebecois people as well too. But was it, it was still a- French speaking? Because I know there's parts of Montreal where it's known to be predominantly English speaking. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was primarily French. But yet, since they had so many immigrants there, um, including a lot of Haitians as well too, but mm-hmm. they only speak French, right? But um, it it made it a fairly good way to assimilate by being able to talk to people who are also Ghanaian, but then mm-hmm. still being in a French city, um, going to French school where I was learning the culture and learning French as well. Oh, okay. Well, excellent. And what was your relationship like with your stepdad and how long did that last? Um, it was immediately very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I said earlier that I asked him, are you my, are you my dad? <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember he looked at me very coldly. Um, he was always on. I learned later on, on what was happening behind the scenes. Um, uh, but he was not happy that my brother and I were were here. Um, he spent very little time uh, with us. I would try to, because this is the first time I'm living with a man in the home, uh, mm-hmm. at least with my mom. And he it became clear that he was not interested. Um, and um, yeah, so really it was non-existent. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember him being cold. I remember, I see. Yeah, I don't remember anything, anything beyond that. Um, I remember my, my mom. She wouldn't say too much about it, but I remember feeling that she was concerned about how he might treat me when she's not around. Oh, um, interesting. 
Yeah. Um, and it became more evident why, because I mentioned that he was abusive and I didn't know about it at all until the very last day that it happened. Um, but yeah, we were, we were, um, we were in the same house. We were in the same house with him for about two and a half years, almost three years before again, the last time he hurt my mom. And then that's when we, we moved out, but it was okay. all for about almost three years. Oh, okay. And then, so when your mom, uh, moved out with, now with a family of, of five, or was your brother more or less on his own by then? Cause he must've been significantly yeah, yeah. older. Was he so on his own brother, by then? Yeah. So we, I moved here when I moved to Canada with him when I was 10 and he was 18 at the time. Okay. So by the time we left three years later, he was 21 and he was in, he was still finishing school. So, um, he was able to stay with friends, um, instead of, cause for him to make the transition, cause I guess as a minor, um, I could just easily trans, you know, transfer to a different school here in Toronto, but for him, he had to finish his school there. So mm-hmm. it was my mom, myself, and my two younger siblings who left uh, Montreal. To come to Ontario? To come to Ontario, yeah. Okay, so your mom just fled the province. Oh, okay. And then, so, well, or sorry, she, she had a better sorry. opportunity in Ontario? Is that why she left? Or No, so initially we stayed in a shelter in 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 montreal okay uh for maybe about a week or two and then um because he had he had really beat up my mom um Mm. and we were concerned for our safety my mom was concerned for our safety so we moved to toronto or the toronto area for that reason um but she also had a close family a close friend who lived in mississauga Mm -hmm. so it was like well she would be safer and also she would be able to have a relationship with at least one person yeah. um, in the area. So that's why we came to the GTA area. Okay. Okay. I see. So tell me, Sam, about, I guess now your mother uh, being a single mother now of more kids uh, moving to Ontario. What was, what did you observe from your mom, how she handled it and how, how was it for you and your siblings? I know you can't really speak on behalf of your other siblings, but at least from your perspective, because by then you're like the older brother here. Yeah. With, you know, with experience and all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we were initially in a shelter, as I, as I mentioned, and we were there for about uh, maybe three, four or five months, maybe. Then we moved into government housing for a while. Um, but for my mom, honestly, this was tougher on my mom than, uh, maybe cause I was older. So maybe since I was a bit older, I was about, I was 12. Well, yeah, just turning 13 when, um, we were, we moved to Ontario and we were in a shelter. So maybe I was a bit older now. So that's why I noticed this, but I'm, I remember her, um, crying a lot, um, uh, struggling with that because, and talking to her since then, I know it's because. You know, when she moved to Canada and she remarried, um, she thought that finally the difficult uh, difficulties were over. And now to be in Canada where life is supposed to be so much better and now you're essentially homeless, not knowing what to do, not knowing how you're going to raise um, your children. Now it's not just, you know, um, just me. Now it's three even younger um children with my older brother and my younger brother and my younger sister it, it, it was it was it was hard on her very hard she was a very um she was not discouraged she still believed in the hope of the gospel 
mm-hmm. but it was tempting to be discouraged and to be discouraged. And I remember seeing it. Um, so it was tough. And my, for my younger siblings, my little sister was very young. She was um, just turning three, I think. So, um, but my, before my younger brother, I remember him really just missing Montreal as I did too. Uh, he mm-hmm. knew that his his father was not around anymore, and that was hard on him at all. That was, that was very hard. I had to encourage him. Um, so for my for me, I was not young enough to know how to encourage my mom. I mean, I was not old enough to know how to encourage my mom at the time. Um, but I, it was my responsibility to take care of my younger siblings, mm-hmm. uh, to do whatever I could to make it easier on my mom. Um, um, but. But I, I noticed right away that as soon as she could, she was working hard already. She was, even at the shelter, um, she was, she would wake up early in the morning, she would read her Bible, she would pray, and then she'd figure out how to serve the other people, the other women at the shelter. <laughs> um, and I noticed that um, she would encourage me to, um, to, I would go to school while I was in the shelter, she'd encourage me to, um, you know, to just focus on what, where we are now and not think too much about Montreal and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned how she would talk about what she suffered for my sake and she wanted me to think about the gospel. Um, and that just kept going while we're in the shelter and while we, while we moved to the government housing and everything. And my mom, very quickly, as soon as she could, she started going to school. She went to school for... Um, for uh, it was like a, I guess, yeah, it was initially just some kind of adult adult classes and then eventually college mm-hmm. um, so that she would become a support worker uh, to work with people with disabilities and things like that. And she Which is what art. she does today, to this day, right? That's, yeah, she's been doing that now for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not sit around. She worked really hard to leave a good example for me and my you know, younger siblings. Um, and... I, I remember seeing all of that um, while I was going through my own stage as a teenager and being very difficult in many mm-hmm. ways. I saw her balancing school, work, parenting, um, still being very faithful in every way um, to church. Um, and she had, um, you know, we went, we're going to Ghanaian church now in Toronto and they would um, send uh, men who would drive uh, single women who uh, did not have cars. Uh, they would, come all the way from different places across the GTA to come pick up um, the single women and they would drive them to church um, and they would make sure they were involved, that their kids were involved in any of the uh, activities um, happening in the church. So they were so helpful. My mom had great help from the shelter and from the church as well, but primarily she's just, uh, she has learned throughout all her life, especially in Ghana, to just Mm -hmm. know that she can't rely on anybody, but Christ and her own and her own uh, work ethic. It's great to hear that there was the community that uh, came came alongside her. I'm thinking the church that you're talking about is probably the church I went to um, a long time ago before, like before I became a single mother. Because I remember they would say they would see me at the bus stop. Oh, we'll, we'll take you home. You know, like, don't worry about it. And I say, yeah, it's really great to know that there was a community of people to help and support her. Now, just mm-hmm. to clarify, I. At one point you said you were in a shelter for one week. So was that the shelter in Montreal? And oh, then when your mother had to leave again, she was in a shelter in Ontario for more months? 
Yes, sorry. Yeah, what I meant was yeah. that we were in a shelter for about a week in Montreal, and then they transferred us to a different shelter in Ontario. We were there for several months. Oh, okay, okay. But it's amazing how your mom. Um, and I guess it's a question I, I I should probably ask her. Maybe hopefully she'll want to be interviewed, and she can tell me some stories about you oh, that you mom? won't share. Oh, okay, you know what? She's not available for interviews. <laughs> you know, she's, she's not, not available, available now. She's huh? not available. No, no. Honestly, she would love that. She would love to talk to you about that. She would love to. But it's nice to hear how your mother didn't allow to wallow in self-pity. <laughs> and she's just like, just sort of focus. Like, I have to care for my family. I don't have time for this. I have to. Like, she goes, yeah, in a shelter already, she's taking on responsibility to serve. And I think that's a, it's a great reminder that, I guess in cases like that, to not fall into self-pity. And it's not, I'm not just saying that for, you know, single mothers, but even just in their own lives. Yes. I think that one of the best antidotes is, you know, you think of the the passage in Philippians, bring it before the Lord mm-hmm. with thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The Lord will take care. And then you just move forward. And I think to yes. serve others is a great antidote to um, self-pity and Not falling really. into that. And it can be, and I'm sure, and I've had my moments where I was, I thought I was drowning and I was ready to let myself sink in the water. <laughs> and if it weren't for people yeah. to preach the word to me and pull me out and even call me out on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's who knows. Mm-hmm. Natalie, my mom there's my mom despises self-pity in part because throughout her life she's been forced to learn that that will that that if she does that that will kill her and it will kill her children. She's learned that mm. she has to keep going. I'll I'll tell you something. I remember when I was just maybe I don't know uh, 10 15 years ago um I was you know I was an adult at, uh, at the time but I was just being stupid and being careless and frankly being lazy about certain things. My mom had a meeting with me and she's calling me out. And I said, you know what? And there was, yeah, basically long story. I'm like, you know what? Oh man, it's cause my father. And she's like, man, you better shut up. <laughs> and she, she's like, she's like, I don't want to hear any of that ever again. She stopped me before I even tried to get there. She's like, that's not an excuse. There's no excuse whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Your life may be, it may be more difficult, but it doesn't mean it's an excuse for anything. And um, I'll never forget that. It, it shut me up right then and there. Um, but, you know, I remember, I remember even when I was 12 or 13, when we were in a shelter, my mom was telling me that she was concerned about some of the women in at the shelter, that they are already allowing self-pity to destroy them. And she said she's never going to allow that for herself. And she wasn't saying that out of pride. Mm-hmm. She was saying that, no, I can't do that. I can't. I can't let him, that man win. Because mm-hmm. my stepfather was saying, oh, yeah, she, she can't do anything without me and you know, all this stuff. He's like, I cannot. I cannot. I have to work hard to, so that I can make, so that, so that I can honor Christ. And I'll tell you, I remember when, um, you know, um, my mom was in, you know, we were in under, we were receiving, she was receiving welfare for a long time. And that was helpful. Mm-hmm. But. At one point, um, since a lot of people they would just get welfare and they wouldn't work. And some of the people that she, again, it's different between people who are just not able to work and people who were just choosing to allow self-pity to destroy them and not work. And my mom uh, was working so hard to find a job. When she finally got a job, the uh, the government was like, hey, you know, you, we know you have a job now, but you still need to get welfare for a time so we can trust that you're actually okay. She said, no, but I have a job. Why are you giving me money for it? No, I want to mm-hmm. I want to work for myself. And and I'll never forget that. I'm like, huh, who turns away money? 
<laughs> who turns away money. But her thinking was, if she allows that to become the norm for her, then it becomes a norm for her. And then she's not always going to rely on her work ethic and God's grace. And then she would be relying on the government. And because of that, because of that work ethic, maybe she was working two jobs um, in the afternoon, in the mm. nights and working so hard that eventually she was able to buy a house, mm-hmm. uh, her own home. The woman who was once essentially homeless um, now owned a home. Um, because of her own, her, her own hard work. And by that time, I was also older, so I can help out as well, too. But um, she did that on her own. And it's because she did not allow herself to embrace self-pity. Um, but sadly, mm-hmm. a lot of her colleagues that were in the shelter or in the government housing, they're still there. And there's nothing wrong with, again, someone not being able to achieve some of the things my mom has. Mm-hmm. But the point is that there were some people who could have achieved that, but they allow self-pity to take hold of their hearts. And um, my mom didn't. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Did you find, did you find at times that you maybe subconsciously or maybe you consciously thought there's no man in the house, I have to step into that role? And if so, how did that, what did that look like? Did your mother shut it down? <laughs> and or like how did yeah, how did you, if you felt like you had to put yourself in that position, what did it look like? How did you navigate or if it ever happened at all? Or did it cross your mind or something? In, you mean in a in a negative way, in a prideful way. Is that what you mean? In whatever way, because I'm thinking you were saying your mother she worked so hard that she took on two jobs. So I'm yeah. guessing because you're the older brother, there there may have been times where you're here for your younger siblings and when they're acting up maybe you yeah. had to step in. Or maybe there's things about the story. I know we had a babysitter. I don't know. But yeah. did you ever, maybe you feel like oh. sometimes I got to step in and like Absolutely. a father over my over my siblings. Absolutely. My mom, since my mom was in there and she had told me that, hey, since she's not there, she needs me to make sure that I, um, you know, I, I take care of my younger siblings. But, you know, being since I, yes, I... Oh, so you took it, like, you took it too far, maybe. She's figured, look after your brothers, you're older. I took it way too far. You know my (laughs) siblings, ask them, they'll tell you. I was delivering punishment, like, there was, like, oh, it was terrible. Like, anytime they were annoying me, I'm like, go face the wall. Like, it was, and they'd be there for (laughs) They weren't doing anything wrong. They were just being annoying little kids. It was just fun. But I was, it was terrible. I feel so badly about that. I, I definitely, definitely thought, yeah, instead of being their older brother, I tried to become their dad. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, absolutely. I did that. I was, I was awful. And and it it mostly stayed that way until my older brother, until my older brother ended up actually moving, moving, uh, with us because he then left Montreal after he finished school to come stay with us for a while. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is then he took over and was doing the exact same thing <laughs> I was doing for my younger brothers, except now towards me. And you're like, well. Hey, I don't like this actually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of this. Um, so, so yeah, I, but then as I became a Christian and I, 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 I grew, I got older. Um, it switched now where now as an older man, I saw my mom allowed me to see her struggles now as a single mother, she would talk to me more. And I, mm-hmm. I, the woman who is so strong and, you know, she's still very strong, but I realized that it was just God's incredible. It was God's strength 
more than her own strength. And she would say that. Um, and then I saw that many, in many ways, she was keeping herself together so that I would not be discouraged. Um, that she wouldn't, I saw her crying at times, but she wouldn't, that was, that was the rare times when I would see her more. Oftentimes mm -hmm. she would cry. I just wouldn't see it myself. But now as I got older, she was trusting me more. And I realized that, um, you know, I think, you know, this already, and uh, I won't bore the audience with too much details, but my older brother ended up, uh, I had to step in and say, okay, um, uh, you're not a healthy uh, member of this family. And until you change, uh, you can't be around um, here anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had to do that. And when I did that, my mom said, um, said to me that no man, when I, and I did that with certain things, helping around the house financially and things like that. My mom said to me that, I'm the first man in her life that has not let her down. Mm -hmm. And those words, uh, I'll never forget. They were deeply encouraging to me, but it also made me realize that, wow, my mom said, man, like I'm a, like I'm a man to her and I need to really step up and be not the leader of, 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 of the house. Cause I'm not my mom. Uh, even though I was older at the time, I'm still called to honor my mom. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. not called to lead her. Mm -hmm. um, it's her home. She's the boss. However, um, and I was actually saying this to my younger sister earlier in that <laughs> this sounds strange to some people. Um, the hardest thing actually, I would say about being a fatherless child or a fatherless man is not when you're younger. It's when you're older. In my opinion. Yeah. Because I see now more how much the reality is this. Um, I've said it before. Being a single mother is, 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 is an obstacle. It's, it's, it's not ideal, right? Um, it's not wrong to be a single mother, of course. Um, but it's not ideal. And my, I, I see now, uh, talking to my mom now, her, her, you know, being willing to share her vulnerabilities with me. I see that, of course, God's plan um, is that uh, mothers should have leaders, should have protection uh, from their mm -hmm. husbands. And I'm seeing that my mom doesn't have that. So I need to play that role as much as I can without being her leader. Mm -hmm. I can be her protector. I can honor her. But... Um, it's, it's not necessarily designed for me to be that. It's supposed to be my father. So now as an older man, when I see that I'm having to balance, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's not a bad thing, mm -hmm. but it's more difficult knowing that I am supposed to lead and protect my wife, but my mom doesn't have a husband to do that for her. So as best as I can, as her son, I need to always be her protector, um, serve her as much as I can, provide for her as much mm -hmm. as I can. And as a kid, no, my, when my father wasn't around, I was just thinking about me, how that's right. hard on me. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about how that's hard on my mom. Mm -hmm. Now I see that, wow, it'd be so much easier for my mom if she had a leader. Um, and again, my mom is an amazing, wise woman, but it will always be a difficulty that she does not have that leader in the home and that her sons and her daughters are going to have to step up and do the best they can to fill that void, which is not a wrong thing. It's a blessing, mm -hmm. but it's a challenge that as an older child of a, uh, you know, uh, of a single mom, 
that you now have to uh, take that responsibility. Yeah, no, that, that's beautifully said. And it's true because I think about, I thought about that a lot when my boys were younger in that I don't want, especially my older son Ernesto to take the role of a father or even stepping in almost, I think at one point he, I had to turn to him and say, I'm sorry, you're not my husband. <laughs> like He almost like, why did you do that? I'm like, hold up, hold up here. I remember dancing, son, you're not my husband. <laughs> yeah. But I remember there was a time when my younger son and I were um, at home. At the time, we were living in a basement apartment. And it was at night. And he ran out of his room and said, Mommy, I hear something. And I couldn't really hear it. And then when we heard more of it, he ran into my room and he blocked the door. So he didn't run into my room and jump in my bed and hide. And then he spread out his hands when someone pushed the door to open. Because I had like, it was a double door to enter my room. And he blocked it and put resistance. And seeing that, my yeah. heart melted. Like he was there. He like, I'm going to protect my mom. Mm -hmm. And I could tell he was a bit scared because like he didn't know what it is. But instinctively, he's like, I got to hold back whoever it was. Turned out to be his older brother who had been at my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he was coming by. I thought he was just hanging yeah, out yeah. grandma's. Because he, he had the key to the house and came in. That's but amazing. still, just to see how he instinctively got up. Yeah. And I could see like, I'm afraid, but I got to do this. Yeah, you know, you're protecting good. the family. So it was it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And yeah, and I even said to him that I thanked him for him to to protect the family, mm -hmm. to have that need to protect the family. Mm -hmm. So no, that's mm -hmm. that's a great story. Now, um, I want to. So this part of of our chat, how you came to know the Lord when He mm -hmm. saved you? Can you share that the age and yeah. just yeah your story? This would be great. Yeah, I was 19. Um, as I said before, I had, you know, I've been raised in the Christian household. I was still going to church even in between the three years that my mom wasn't there. I was still going to church. Uh, so I, I knew the gospel, uh, but I just did not believe the gospel. I did not submit to the gospel. I did not obey the gospel. And then at 19, <laughs> I had just broken up with my first girlfriend at the time and I'm going through all these moody emotions and I'm listening to the Backstreet Boys <laughs> so much. <laughs> I'm listening to Nick Lachey. Nick Lachey! Uh, he, Nick Lachey. He had a song after he broke up with uh, Jessica Simpson. I think it was called What's Left of Me. And I was listening to this song and I'm all moody. And man, I was a weird man because I was listening to gangster hip hop at the same time too. And then I was I would switch off to the next playlist. You know? And I was all moody and everything. But in, in, a, in a weird way, God used that because I was like, man, like the breakup, it really just, it really shook me up. Um, I, yeah, I had just completely fallen. It was my fault. I had just done some stupid things and I just didn't, I was so attached to her that I'm like, well, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. Everything just seemed to be a mess. And I remember it was in the summertime and I was planning like, you know what? I'm going to become even more of a just terrible person. I'm going to sleep around with even more girls and all this stuff. And I was, I was planning some stupid things, probably just make my life, uh, not probably definitely making my life even worse. And then <laughs> this, this, you know, all nations, the church that I was going to in Toronto, um, they had a young adults retreat 
um, called The Encounter. You know about The Encounter? And No, um, I actually don't. Oh, really? I, oh, when okay. I went to that church, I was much older. I probably would never. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was um, called The Encounter. Where, you know, the idea is that you have an encounter with God. It was this, you know, it was huge Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, prosperity gospel stuff too. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't want to go. Again, I was not converted. I didn't care about this young adult stuff. And then there was this one lady, you know, this lady, uh, Gloria, who went to the, who went to the church. Uh, I don't know if I should be actually mentioning names or not, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, won't, we won't mention last names. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But um, our wonderful sister. Uh, I didn't know her then though. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I know who you do. Yeah. Wonderful sister in Christ. Um, she was one of the youth leaders and she kept hounding me and bothering me about going to this young adults retreat. And I just. I'm like, I didn't want to go. She just kept bugging me every week. And finally, one day, I'm like, you know what? Just to shut you up. Just so that you will just so Get off your you back. Leave, just so that you will leave me alone. Fine. I will sign up and I will go to this thing. Just just leave me alone. Um, so it turns out that it was the Holy Spirit really uh, who was um, prompting me because I go to this young adults retreat. And like I said, it was... The prosperity gospel, frankly, mm-hmm. there was a lot of heresy that was taught. <laughs> mm-hmm. But one of the female pastors of the church um, simply said, Christ died for sinners throughout some of her spe- uh, some of her talk or sermon. And that was just that was just enough for me. I had heard that. I, I knew that. Mm-hmm. But that day it just clicked. Um, I just became born again. I heard the gospel in a new way. I believed the gospel. And I remember that day when I heard the gospel, um, I said, my life is worthless if I don't live for Christ. There's no point. I I just knew I had to live for Christ. Amen. Amen. And so then when when did you share the news to your your mother? (laughs) Was it Uh, as soon as you returned or just... Or she just noticed yeah. a change and asked you? or As soon as I returned, mm-hmm. I told her about it. She was, of course, delighted. She was. She knew right away that I was like I was being serious because I was asking her before. It was a monologue when you talk, when you talk about the gospel. <laughs> it was a monologue. Now it was actually a dialogue. Now we're yeah. actually talking about the gospel. Amen. I'm asking her all these questions, and um, to a point where it's probably even getting annoying. You know, I'm just asking her all these questions and I'm reading my Bible and I'm asking her about what should, what else, what should I, I'll never forget the first time I finished reading, um, I got, I finished, uh, uh, reading John to revelation and I go to her saying, well, what now I'm done. She says, man, go back and re- go back and read. You're not done. <laughs> right. Cause I thought like, yeah, I know, I know everything now. What's the point of, you know, reading, uh, some more, but, um, yeah. So yeah, she was, she, she's always said. She does not want wealthy children. Um, I mean, she would want, of course, she would, she would like that. She wants her kids to do well, you know, like yeah, just, yeah. yeah. But that's not what she wants. Just her biggest prayer. Her biggest prayer is that her children would just fear the Lord. That's all she wants. And um, so as soon as that happened, she mm-hmm. said, Sam, I want you to do well in life. But this is her answer to prayer already, that yeah. she is very, very, very happy. Um and um, and then yeah, then I ended up sharing the gospel with my siblings as well, and then they also gradually came to faith as well. So um, yeah, that's that's how I became a Christian. 
Praise the Lord. And yeah, it's what it's what all mothers, single not or not, is what we want to see our kids be mm-hmm. saved. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. If anything in life, that's our greatest desire. Mm-hmm. Greatest desire. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sam, this has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need a part two, so I don't want <laughs> yeah, I, yes. you want me back, I'd be happy to come on. Uh, yes, because uh, like I said to um I had interviewed someone else uh, and um, I said there might be a part two because I'd like to know especially as you're older just navigating as believers and and um, yeah just yeah it's part two of your life especially since you married the lovely Annie she's amazing <laughs> yes she is she's yes. tolerating me so she must be amazing she's she's great she's great and I just, I loved how, yeah, just hearing your story and how you grew up and the challenges and even the, the strength of your mother, whom I'm sure at times she probably felt powerless, but that she had to cling on to the cross, cling on to the promises mm-hmm. of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's very encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. And just that whole don't, don't fall into self-pity. What would you give us, Christian single mothers, what advice would you give us? Any advice mm-hmm. that from your own experience or something to think about towards our own sons, like just mm-hmm. maybe yeah, what would you share in part? The first thing that comes to mind is I think of um, Ephesians one, which says that if we are in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. Um, as I said before, that single mothers, single motherhood is not ideal, but yet a single mother is not lacking any spiritual gift that a a wife or mother who has her husband uh, leader in a home has. Uh, my mom was not lacking any spiritual gift in Christ that mm-hmm. um, that wives with her husbands um, have. I mentioned that because my mom always reminded me that in our home there was a leader in the home. Not if it's not one we could see with your eyes, but but there is a bridegroom, a husband of the church in mm-hmm. that home, Christ. There is a father in that house, God the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Holy Spirit um, leading and serving and guiding um, my mom and myself and my siblings when we became believers. So there is the, the triune God is with every single mother that um, loves God. So it's, I think that is deeply, deeply, uh, or it should be encouraging to a lot of single mothers that they have every spiritual blessing they could have in Christ. With that, um, my mom is an amazing woman, but she's not extraordinary. She's really just an ordinary, ordinary woman with faith in an extraordinary God. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is. Any, you know, my mom, when, when she looks back at her life, she herself says she doesn't know how she got to where she is now. That's because it's, she may have made all her plans, but it is Mm -hmm. God who ordered her steps. That's true again for every single mom. And I'm not just saying this because you're my friend or it's her, it's your podcast. You were a great (laughs) mom. You were a great mom to your, to your um, sons as well. I love your sons. Um, I, I, I miss them a lot. I really miss them. Um, and the the easiest thing, the not the easiest, I should say, but the only thing that really matters, um, as, as my mom said it herself, it's she just wants her children to love the Lord. 
Mm-hmm. And if every any single mom, no matter what is happening, no matter what they're struggling with, if they are teaching their children the gospel, they're they're extraordinary um, mothers in Christ. So hopefully that's an encouragement to the listeners. It is, and thank you. Amen. Amen. And lastly, before we go, I want I want people to know, as I said earlier at the beginning, that Samuel Say is an internationally known blogger. I think we can throw that out there now. <laughs> and it's on the record. Normally I don't want to like puff that already big head of yours. <laughs> and an internationally well-known blogger at Slow to Write. And you're also a pro-life activist. Can you tell a little bit about how you got into it, why you love it, why you're so passionate about it, and how people can reach you? Yeah, but before I actually mention my blog, I'll actually, uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this, although I've shared it with you a few times before, which is that I remember several years ago, uh, maybe maybe 2017 or before that, this is well before I became a little bit more known than I am now. Uh, said, you said to me and to a, and to a crowd of people, um, you know, in our circles, that, you know, Sam is probably going, one day, Sam is going to become a well-known writer. And I laughed at it. I'm like, what are we talking about? And um, what you said, uh, you're, you're no prophet, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what you said, by the grace of God, has come true. And um, I, I only say that because I, you've, my mom isn't the only great woman in my life who has been so good to me and who has supported me. You have been amazing with that you've been a huge blessing to me not only by using food to draw me to your (laughs) church but just being a great great friend um and i thank you yeah i just yeah i'm very you know thankful for you but yeah so my blog um is slow to write.com where i write about a number of different issues um particularly um abortion or critical race theory um, I write about all these political, social, cultural issues from a Christian perspective, but I also write about my life. I also write about um, growing up, um, you know, in a, um, you know, with a single mother, I, I write about um, some of my personal issues or str- struggles, which actually um, led, led me to uh, my wife. Uh, long story short, I wrote an article a few years ago about my, uh, some of my fears. Uh, especially my fear in marriage, uh, because at the time I was struggling with the idea of marrying um, when I didn't see, um, I, I didn't grow up with my dad, as I mentioned, obviously, as we've talked about. So mm-hmm. I didn't know what I, I, I didn't know what it, what it looked like to be a good husband or a good father. So you never was, had a picture of marriage in your own life to see what it looked I, like. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. I was very, um, you know, fearful of that. So long story short, a woman, <laughs> one particular woman ends up finding that article. She reads that article. She comments on it. Her and I become friends. We become more than friends. And then now we're married. <laughs> All because of that article. Uh, she just mentioned some of her fears. And that's Annie, of course, Annie and my, my wife. Um, so God has an incredible sense of humor that he would use an article that I wrote about my fear of marriage. And I honestly thought, oh yeah, if I had any, any chance of finding a woman, this is, uh, this article is going to destroy it because people are going to see how damaged (laughs) I am and they're going to see how pathetic I am and whatever. And, and then instead God used that to draw me to my wife. And, um, 
so I'm my my blog. I'm so grateful of that people are seemingly helped by it. Um, but I'm especially happy that it led me to um, to my wife. So, but, but but they can find me on they, they can read the articles at slowtowrite.com. They can also find me on social media, same same name, slow to write on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and if they choose to as well, they can support me on uh, Patreon mm-hmm. at uh, same thing, slow to uh, slow to write as well. No, oh, that's great. And yeah, when you talked about your, your fear of marriage, isn't wasn't that the segue to propose to her? I recall because remember you had me photograph, which I that was so much fun to yes, do. Yes, yes. And that was your way to kind of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. To her. I since that was so so the art so the title of that article that I I, I was referring to is uh, I am afraid. It was simply just I am afraid. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I was when I was about to propose to my uh, my now wife. Uh, Natalie was so kind to hide in the bushes somewhere. <laughs> and there's <laughs> a lot of mosquitoes. I remember. Yes, I, I remember <laughs> you, you were you were suffering, you know. But you kindly uh, were hiding in the bushes, and then I went on one knee, and um, I said, um, "I am not afraid anymore uh, to any." Um, and I just said, and she knew right away what that meant. And she then. knew exactly what, what I meant, and she started, you know, crying. And then uh, I asked her to marry me. And that was it. No, so. oh, that is that is so wonderful. And I often just thinking, and it's not I often think it's it's I'm thinking about it now, just after you're telling your story about your mom and your upbringing and how she was like, I'm not no self-pity. I'm not a victim. It, it must have rubbed off on you to, to see how she was that you are a really powerful voice for against CRT, critical race theory and things like that, that you know, our own responsibility. I just saw um, recently, I mean, the internet is something else. <laughs> I could just have a window open next to you know, and say something next to you know, I get all these ads and, and reels. So one <laughs> of them popped up. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know this person. It was a teacher and she had said, okay, listen up class. How many rags to riches stories? I'm just going to summarize it quickly. Do you know, mm-hmm. like how many people do you know have said, started from the bottom now I hear? Like this is not a Christian yeah. person, but you, you get mm-hmm. what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. And then so people, the students are raising their hands. Well, she says, well, let me tell you something. This goes to show you are born looking like your parents, but you die looking like your decisions. Mm-hmm. And she says, mm-hmm. let that rest a little. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. And so, That's good. yeah, it's That's really good. good. It's really good. The class kind of got, she says, sit on that, reflect on that. Mm-hmm. And just That's hearing good. the story about your mom and she's just like, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to wall in self-pity. I'm going to work hard, fight hard. And of course, we're going to get obstacles. Of course, I'm sure you have stories where you probably experienced racism in Canada. I have. Yeah. I'm born and yeah. you know born and bred here. But it's just I I am responsible and the decisions yeah. I make and and I'm so thankful that you are part of like I said my son and my sons and my life, even though we got the uh, the border between us. And you have been such a wonderful example to them. And um, especially since your story is more, for lack of a better word, like I'm just not, it's not like who's got it worse, you know, <laughs> like it's a time, no, it, but yeah, yeah, it was worse than what they went through and are, and are well, going through. And, yeah. and, and God has been so faithful and so good and, and, and he never forsakes us. And I keep no, clinging on to that passage. Like, you've never mm. begged for bread. You've mm. had some lean times. Mm. Mm. 
But you never, you, he's never, God's righteous have never begged for bread. Every time I think of my mom's story, I always, always remember what um, David said, which is, I think, in that same chapter where he says, yeah, um, I, um, I have never seen a righteous forsaken. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I haven't, I haven't whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and look, I, you know, you mentioned uh, your, your your sons and yourself. You guys are so important to me. Uh, I know there's a border here, but I one of the things I'm adamant about is that while I live in the U.S. now, I we are definitely doing our best to come stay in Toronto for a couple of months every summer. That's very important to me. Oh, that'd be great. You, you guys are so important to me. You have no idea. I, I cannot. I, I it, it would not do well. It would not go well for me if I <laughs> would only see you guys a couple of you know times a year. No way. It has to be a couple of months. I miss I miss all of you guys, and you guys have not been part of my life just so that I would never see you guys. No, we're definitely going to be lifelong friends. So until you get tired of me. Oh, no, I can't. Praise the Lord. That day you said yes (laughs) to the fellowship lunch. (laughs) Dragging you out to (laughs) our church at the time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the way he's worked things out. Thank you Amen. so much, Sam. Yeah, there's going to be part two for something. I'll figure out a reason to get you back on, maybe another topic on. No problem. Yeah, who knows? I'll, I'll think of something, but I really enjoyed this. It was worth the, I don't even know how, it's probably the length of a movie, but it was worth every <laughs> second of it. Mm-hmm. And may God bless you and your blog, as well as your pro-life activities. Mm-hmm. I think you're a necessary voice in this space, especially for young people and young men. So thank you again. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Raising Poets and Pirates and that it encouraged you and was a blessing. If you like this kind of content and more, please subscribe to this podcast. Furthermore, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at hello at raisingpoetsandpirates.com. Also, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to get notifications on the next episode, as well as exclusive information. Just go to RaisingPoetsAndPirates.com. Thank you, and God bless.